can open up to 2 Chronicles, chapter 32 tonight. As we've been seeing the past three chapters with uh, King Hezekiah and the nation of Judah, we've seen a big revival has broken out over the nation of Judah. They're worshiping God in the temple again, sacrificing to to him, and oftentimes when these things happen, the enemy is not far behind. And we're going to look at that tonight. Um, Seems like anytime someone may be going through a personal revival, or a church is going through a revival itself, or a community is going through some type of revival, that the enemy wants to come and spoil it and attack it. And we're going to see tonight with King Hezekiah this happen. But when those attacks do come, and we're feeling alone like we're by ourselves in the fight, know this, that Jesus promised that he will never leave us or forsake us. Even whenever we may not hear him or we may not see him working at that moment, He is constantly working on our behalf. He has not abandoned us. He has not abandoned America at this moment. And and we still have believers here that are worshiping him in spirit and truth. And he's not going to leave us as believers. He's going to be working on our behalf. Even uh, we spoke right before service, even when Paul was being persecuted, even when the, the disciples, the apostles were being persecuted, God was still there with them. During that persecution, he did not leave them. You know, one of the metaphors they use in Scripture for God is he's a divine warrior. And we're going to see that today, him coming on as a divine warrior and what he does to the Assyrians. And we can take comfort in that. We can take hope in that, that he is still there to protect us as his people. Psalms 124, before we even get there, you don't have to turn there, I'll read it. It says, if... It had not been the Lord who was on our side. Let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side. It's almost like David is preaching right here, making sure that his congregation understands if it had not been for the Lord on our side. Same thing for us. The Lord is on our side because we choose to be on his side. And he's going to fight our battles. And it says, when men rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us. If when men has rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us alive. If the Lord has not been on our side. It says, when their wrath was kindled against us, then the waters would have overwhelmed us. The streams would have gone over our soul. Then the uh, swollen waters would have gone over our soul. Blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. Our soul has escaped as a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. But if it had not been for the Lord who was on our side, I think we all have moments in our lives where we can say it could have been really bad if the Lord was not on our side. 
And so it is important for us as Christians to realize that God is ready and able to work in our lives in, in a significant way, too, not just in the small things, but in the big ways as well. So when God answers our prayers for healing, it's not just that, oh, I was feeling bad, now I feel good, and that's it. God is working in every aspect of our lives. God is constantly working on our behalf. So now we're going to look at this remarkable story of King Hezekiah and Judah under attack from the Assyrians and how God will deliver them from this attack. Now, this takes place about 701 B.C. We have Hezekiah who has been faithful to the Lord in worshiping and bringing a nation back to God. I pray the Lord raises people up in our nation to bring our nation back to God so God can deliver us from this trial that we are going through right now. But we see God will bring them out of this, out of this trial, and that's because to a faithful king, God shows himself faithful. So to a faithful believer, God is going to show himself faithful. And we need to make sure that we are faithful to our God. So let's go ahead and start in verse 1 of chapter 32. And it says, after these deeds of faithfulness. So after he returned the people back to worship, after he returned the people back to God and reinstated the temple worship and put the uh, Levites and the priests in their courses, after those things... Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and entered Judah. He encamped against the fortified cities, thinking to win them over to himself. So we see this uh, Sennacherib of Assyria coming in. Now the Assyrians were very brutal people. They would leave their captives from wherever they were at by hooks in their jaws to take them up to uh, whatever cities to disperse them. They were one of the first ones to start using battering rams. They were the first ones to put ramps to be able to siege walls in these cities that were thought to be maybe impenetrable. They would also take the heads of their enemies and, and, and put it around their conquered cities to kind of be a warning that you don't want to mess with us when we're coming into your territory. So this was not a, a army or a country to, to shake a stick at. They, they meant business, and they showed it throughout their time uh, as they kind of basically ruled the world at that that point in time. So now we're going to see that they're coming up against King Hezekiah and the nation of Judah at Jerusalem. So we move on to verse 2. It says, And when Hezekiah saw that Sennacherib had come and that his purpose was to make war against Jerusalem, he consulted with his leaders and commanders to stop the water from the spring, which were outside the city, and they helped them. Thus many people gathered together who stopped all of the springs and the brooks that ran through the land, saying, why should the king of Assyria come and find much water? So you've got to think about the logistics of these armies moving over miles and miles of land to conquer these, these cities or conquer these other kingdoms. You had to have sanitation throughout your camps. You had to have water. You had to have food. And all this had to be moved, had to be moved by the men and horses or camels or whatever they had to be able to go from one spot to another. So being able to find a water source in that area and cutting that off from that city, but still being able to use it for your army was key. The king Hezekiah was thinking ahead. God may have given him that thought. 
that, hey, I'm going to go cover up all the springs, everything, water that we have coming in the city, I'm going to cover it up and hide it from the Assyrians. Now I'm going to get ahead of the ball game and not allow them to have the water that they need. But then he, build, he digs a tunnel leading into the city of Jerusalem to bring water into the city. That was a smart move on his behalf to where they at least had fresh water if they were going to be under siege and they were going to be trying to starve them out for the Assyrians to get in there. So that was a good move by King Hezekiah. And just think about it, that, that area there in Jerusalem is really rocky. So having to dig a tunnel in the rocks, uh, almost 1,777 feet from that spring into the, into the city of Jerusalem was, was a real big engineering feat. So you know the Lord had to, had to direct that. But it was, it was going to keep the Assyrians away from getting water and, and, and something that was vital to them. So that was a good move on Hezekiah's behalf. Verse 5, it says, And he strengthened himself, built up all the wall that was broken, raised it up to the towers, and built another wall outside. Also he repaired the Milo and the city of David and made weapons and shields in abundance. Then he set military captains over the people, gathering them together to, to him in the open square of the city gate and gave them encouragement, saying, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid nor dismayed before the king of Assyria nor before the multitude that is with him. For there are more with us than with him. Verse 8, With him is an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people were strengthened by the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. King Hezekiah prepared Judah for battle, the battle that was about to come. He built the walls. He prepared the weapons. He got them water to go into the uh, city of Jerusalem. He did not sit idle when the enemy was coming. I think many Christians fail in this area of preparation. They don't prepare themselves for the battle to come. When I was in the military, we trained constantly to get ready for wars that may come. I did not join necessarily during a wartime, but I was there when wartime came, and we were trained to go out and accomplish our mission. That training never stopped. And I think about Christians today that often say, oh, I need a job, or I need this, or I need that, but they're not willing to go out and put work in for it. They just believe that God's going to magically bring it to their doorstep. There is still work as believers we have to do. The Lord will provide. The Lord will protect. But the Lord also wants people who are, are worthy of their work and their faith. It says faith without works is dead. Our faith in Christ is what saves us. His work on the cross is what saves us. But after that, we have to do the work of God. And that doesn't mean sitting on our backsides at our house waiting. We need to get out and do the work of the Lord and prepare ourselves for the battles to come because whether we like it or not, we are in a battle culturally and spiritually right now. And we are soldiers in the army of the Lord and we have to go to battle. We cannot run from it. And he goes on to say that there are more of us than there are of them. Well, from the physical looks of it, it doesn't look that way. Thousands and thousands of Assyrian 
soldiers are out there coming to attack Jerusalem. And from the naked eye, uh, Hezekiah looks like he's a crazy man saying that. But if you do remember a story in 2 Kings chapter 6, and I'm going to read verses 15 through 17 with Elisha. And it says, And when the servants of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounded the city with horses and chariots, and his servants said to him, uh, oh, I lost my spot, said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? So he answered, Elisha answered, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who were with them. Pretty sure at this point his servant thought he was a crazy man. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. I believe Hezekiah had a peek into the spiritual realm, to the supernatural realm. He had seen God provide victory. He had seen God rebuild that nation. And I believe that he knew that he was surrounded by heavenly hosts there to take care of him, just like Elijah was. And guess what? There are heavenly hosts that are here to take care of each and every one of us as believers. It tells us that in Hebrews 1, 4, uh, 1 Verse 14, the Bible tells us that there are ministering spirits and angels given to stand by us. God provides for his people. God gives protection for his people. So when you think you're alone in whatever trial you're going, going through, you are not alone. The Lord has an army around you. He has his, his ministering angels there with you. And you know what? The enemy... Is, is any time you're going through a trial, any time you're coming from a revival, you have a renewal in your heart for the Lord, the enemy is going to come and attack you. And those attacks are real. I'm not negating that. that they are real attacks from the enemies. But you have to understand in Revelation 12, it says that Satan fell right from heaven and a third of the angels went with him. That left two-thirds still in heaven. He's outnumbered two to one. He's outnumbered more than that. But Satan is outnumbered. No matter what attack he throws out, out at us, ultimately we get the victory through Christ. And we have to realize that, that Christ is on our side when we, we put our faith in him. So what we're going through today, we see on the, on the news, and we see social media, and we hear on the radio, all these issues with race issues, different organizations coming against the United States, organizations coming against Christianity. No matter how bad it looks, we are not outnumbered. We have a big God that we serve. His army is far bigger than any earthly army that can be put together. All right, in verse 9, as we continue, it says, After this, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, sent his servants to Jerusalem, but he and all the forces with him laid siege against Lachish. To Hezekiah, king of Judah, and to all Judah who were in Jerusalem, saying, Thus says Sennacherib, king of Assyria, in what do you trust that you remain under siege in Jerusalem? So these people are coming, starting to mock those in Jerusalem. Who are y'all trusting in? 
Are y'all crazy? Do you, have y'all not? And we'll see in a minute. He's going to talk about, have you not heard what I and my father have done to the nations? In verse 11, it says, Do, does not Hezekiah persuade you to give yourself over to die by famine and by thirst, saying, the Lord our God will deliver us from the hand of the king of Assyria. So you're listening to this king Hezekiah who's persuading you to stay and trust in a God not realizing that you're going to starve and you're going to die of starvation and thirst because you're listening to this crazy man. What do you see in him? Then it goes on, verse 12, it says, Has not the same Hezekiah taken away his high places and his altars and commanded Judah and Jerusalem, saying, You shall worship before one altar and burn incense on it? So these people are coming in asking, you're trusting Hezekiah? He's leading you to destruction right now. He wants you to starve and die of thirst. Why don't you come out and join us? We'll take care of you, which we know is a lie, because I'm pretty sure Judah knew what happened to the northern tribes and how they were taken away by the Assyrians. And this messenger that comes is so misinformed. First, he's making fun of Hezekiah. Then he says, isn't this the same Hezekiah that had you tear down all the altars in the high places to your God? Not knowing that God wanted these altars in high places tore down because it was not worshiping the true and living God. There's many people who like to speak and think they have authority on what the word of God says who are not believers, but they're very sadly misinformed in what they're saying. And you know what, sometimes we'll get into situations where we'll hear news and we'll, we'll get upset about it and we'll get nervous, we'll get scared, man, because the stuff you see on TV, it, it can be scary. It can drive you to that point. But all of it is lies. All of it is not of God. And they'll try and throw things at you to try and, try and bring your faith down, try to have you, have you kneel before them to worship their ideology instead of what the true and living God is telling us to worship. And that's where we need to make our stand. And we do that by what? We talked about earlier about how Hezekiah prepared his army with weapons and spears and water and built a wall, built another wall to be able to protect. He prepared for the battle and trusted God with the results. And we need to continue to prepare for battle and trust God with the results. Prepare by going, going to our knees in prayer, going to our, our word and learning what the word of God says. Because if we don't know how to handle our weapon in war, we're going to fail. And this is our weapon. The word of God is our weapon. And we need to learn how to handle this weapon and trust him with our results in that battle. Verse 13 says, do you not know, and here we go, do you not know what I and my father have done to all the people of other lands? Were the gods of the nations of those lands in any way able to deliver their lands out of my hand? So he's asking them that question. Verse 14, he says, Who was there among all the gods of those nations that my father utterly destroyed that could deliver his people from my hand? that your God should be able to deliver you from my hand. So who were these gods? Who was there to protect them? The answer is nobody. Now, therefore, do not let Hezekiah deceive you or persuade you like this, and do not believe him. 
For no God of any nation or kingdom was able to deliver his people from my hand or the hand of my father. How much less will your God deliver you from my hand? Furthermore, his servant spoke against the Lord God and against his servant Hezekiah. So now they're also going to speak against God. He also wrote letters to revile the Lord God of Israel and to speak against him, saying, As the gods of the nation of other lands have not delivered their people from my hand, so the God of Hezekiah will not deliver his people from my hand. He's lumping the the true and living God into this every other God that's out there. Then they called out with a loud voice in Hebrew to the people of Jerusalem who were on the wall to frighten them, trouble them, that they might take city. And they spoke against God of Jerusalem as against the gods of the people of the earth, the works of men's hands. So the Assyrians here now start to ask them to consider what Sennacherib and his father have done in the past to these other nations. They're bringing fear. That's what they call terrorists. They call them terrorists because they like to bring terror into the hearts of people. These things that are happening on the streets today is nothing more than domestic terrorism, trying to put fear in the heart of the American people, put fear into the heart of believers. Just I want to say a couple days ago, a church up in New York, uh, one of these groups came in and started terrifying the parishioners in there as well as the pastor in there. They basically took over that church. And that's what the enemy is going to do. He's going to try and use fear and terror in our hearts for us to renounce God and to turn away from our faith. But we're not going to do that because God ultimately has the victory. So as he's coming in, telling the, the nation of Judah, hey, look what we did to these other nations. Look how we destroyed their gods. They put some questions to them. They said, were the gods of the nations able to deliver their people out of his hands in any way? And of course the answer was no. If their answer was in doubt, which of their gods had done so? The answer for that was none. Then he said, how then would their God, the God of such a small nation, the nation of Judah, deliver them out of his hands? Surely the answer was obvious. They wouldn't. The God you serve, Judah, can't do that. But I love the end of 19. It says, and they spoke against the God of Jerusalem as against the gods of the other people on the earth the work of men's hands. The difference between Jehovah and these other gods was that these other gods were made from stone and wood and from the hands of man, whereas God made man. He was the one who created it all. He is the true and living God that can deliver his people, unlike the sticks and stones that these other people decided to worship. There's a lot of things right now. I I think it was the either the governor of New York or the, his brother, one of the two, says that, hey, we can do it together. We can come together and get through this. You don't need uh, upstairs. You don't need the man upstairs or the God upstairs. You don't need him. We can do it together. Worship of self. God's going to strike that down. He better watch what he says. And America better watch what they say, too. Because we serve a God that is strong and powerful and will not be mocked. 
And our nation better realize that and turn back to him. You know, today's world is definitely sending different messages from different angles right now to knock down people of faith, to knock down our God. But we should not falter, but we should stand strong and not kneel to their way of life. You know, Ephesians 6, 13 says, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand the evil, to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, stand. And it goes on in the next verse, therefore, stand. Continue to stand on the word of God. Continue to, to train ourselves in the word of God, that we'll be able to go ahead and go against the enemy when he comes to us. Moving on to verse 20. It says, now because of King Hezekiah, now because of this, King Hezekiah and the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, prayed and cried out to heaven. So this is the Isaiah that wrote the book of Isaiah. So while Sennacherib was attacking and accusing Judah and tearing down their God, after the preparation that was already made by King Hezekiah, we've seen King Hezekiah and Isaiah held a prayer meeting and cried out to heaven. What an example of what we need to do, to cry out to heaven in these times, in these perilous times we're in, crying out to God for the answer. That's where we need to be. F.B. Meyer said this. He said, it was the indignity done to Jehovah that stirred these two holy men to the heart. So because they were treating God the way they were treating God, it stirred their heart to go to prayer. It says, oh, that we would possess with a similar zeal for God, so that we might look at sin as it affects him. When we can grasp, and I don't know if we ever will on this side of, of glory, but if we can ever grasp and understand how God really sees sin, I think our lives would be transformed. Because I don't think we can really understand how bad sin upsets him. And then it says, and lament over the awful wrongs which are continually being perpetrated against his holy, loving nature. What an argument this uh, would give us in prayer. If we can view sin the way he views sin, if we can view the awful wrongs that are happening in our society right now, we can view them the way he views them. What a powerful prayer life we would have to go before him and, and cry out to him for these wrongs that are having to hate sin like he hates sin. And so we see Hezekiah and Isaiah going to the Lord. They're, 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 they're taking the right posture before God in a situation like that. We've done all we can do. We've prepared. We've, 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 we've set up our people for success in this. Lord, now we leave the verdict to you. And that's what we're crying out for. And how would God deliver them from the Assyrians? The way he's, he's delivered Judah throughout, throughout the ages and throughout these books we've been read, reading. The way he delivers us from sin. He's going to come down and he's going to do it. And faith is the key on that. King Hezekiah had already recorded that saying that God is going to get the victory. He already, his faith was already set on that. And we're going to see that when him and Isaiah prayed, God answered. God answers the prayer of his faithful. In verse 21 it says, then the Lord sent an angel who cut down every mighty man of valor 
leader and captain in the camp of the kings of Assyria. So he returned, shamefaced, to his own land. And when he had gone into the temple of his God, some of his own offspring struck him down with the sword there. Let's look at that first part. The Lord sent an angel who cut down every mighty man of valor and captain. The Lord takes care of his people. They didn't even have to lift a finger, it looks like. The Lord sent an angel in there. 2 Kings uh, 19 tells us that God sent the angel who cut him down. 185,000 Assyrians were cut down that night. Can you imagine if you were one of them that may not have been cut down and you wake up and you see your friends dead across y'all's camp? I think that would bring a little bit of fear into you. And that's exactly what they did. They packed up and left. And then it says here that Sennacherib got up like a coward and ran back to Assyria, ran back to his home and went into the temple of his own God and his own offspring, his own children, killed him. God is not to be mocked. And look, Assyria at this point was ruling that, that the world almost, you can say, at the, at the known world at the time. And this was definitely a turning point in history to where the Assyrians were broken now. And then we'll see soon the Babylonians coming on the scene, taking over that responsibility as a world power. So we continue on in verse 22. It says, Thus the Lord saved Hezekiah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem from the hand of Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, and from the hand of all others, and guided them on every side. I'm pretty sure it says that it saved them from all others. I'm pretty sure these other nations that were surrounding Judah heard the news on what happened, and they were not trying to mess with them at the moment. But it seems like as history goes on, people forget what, what God does sometimes. Then it goes on to verse 23, and it says, Many brought gifts to the Lord, uh, to the Lord at Jerusalem and pres presents to Hezekiah, king of Judah, so that he was exalted in the sight of all nations thereafter. So this victory went out to all the nations. They knew what happened. And they brought gifts to the Lord. They, they probably had another revival broke out. A sacrifice to the Lord, and they had a good time in worshiping God. Again, giving thanks to God for the victory that they had just received. In verse 24, it says, In those days Hezekiah was sick and near death, and he prayed to the Lord, and he spoke to him and gave him a sign. But Hezekiah did not repay according to the favor shown him, for his heart was lifted up. Therefore wrath was looming over him and over Judah and Jerusalem. Then Hezekiah humbled himself for the pride of his heart, and he and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the wrath of the Lord did not come upon them in the days of Hezekiah. So we know that the Lord gave him more years to live. He was sick. The Lord healed him. He lived, I think it was 14 to 15 more years. Uh, but then you start to question those 14 to 15 more years because in that time frame, he fathered Manasseh, who would end up being one of the worst kings in the nation of Judah's history. He would also, which we're going to read in a little bit, he would show the Babylonians all the wealth that he had there in Jerusalem, which would later lead to the Babylonians coming in and capturing Judah. So it may have been better if King Hezekiah may have died when he was sick. These things may not have happened, but let me tell you something, God wasn't surprised by any of it. 
He knew what was going to happen, and God's ultimate will will be carried out. There was, there was plans that God had that was bigger than Hezekiah, bigger than, uh, yeah, bigger than King Hezekiah. So that would have been worked out regardless because God already knew what was going to happen. And then we see here that Hezekiah, once he was given that new life again, didn't re- repay God for that. Didn't seem to thank him. Kind of wa- he kind of welled up with pride, which we know pride comes before the fall. Pride is never good. We shouldn't be prideful. We should humble ourselves. But we see him taking the right direction. Hezekiah eventually does humble himself and ends up not having God's wrath come upon him and the nation of Judah. And it goes on, verse 27. It says, Hezekiah had very great riches and honor. And he made himself treasures for silver, for gold, for precious stones, for spices, for shields, and for all kinds of desirable items. And remember that in the last chapter it says that God, that he prospered because he did things for God with a whole heart. So God prospered him for that. Start, verses 28, storehouses for the harvest of grain, wine, and oil, and stalls for all kinds of living stock and folds for flocks. Moreover, he provided cities for himself and possessions of flocks and herds in abundance, for God had given him very much property. So we see here that he was a very wealthy man. And sometime with wealth comes pride and arrogance. We're going to see. Verse 30, it said, This same Hezekiah also stopped the water outlet of Upper Gihon, which we talked about earlier, and brought the water by tunnel to the west side of the city of David. Hezekiah uh, prospered in all his work. However, regarding the ambassadors of the prince of Babylon, whom they sent to him to inquire about the wonder that was done in the land, God withdrew from him in order to test him that he might know all that was in his heart. So that God took his hand off of Hezekiah for a moment there just to see what Hezekiah would do. You have the nation of Babylon coming to this small nation of Judah that would definitely puff Hezekiah. Oh, they're coming to see what we've done. We beat the Assyrians. God healed me. And now here they come with the congregation to, to kind of congratulate me and to, and to speak to me about what's going on. And he ends up showing the nation of Babylon all the riches of Jerusalem. And that was a fatal mistake. He, he got prideful. Come see what I have. Come see everything I have done in the nation of Judah and say, saying, come see what God has done in the nation of Judah. That's what he should have done. But God was testing him, and he failed that test <laughs> at that point. Verse 32, it says, Now the rest of the acts of Hezekiah and his goodness, indeed they are written in the vision of Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, and in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. So Hezekiah rested with his fathers, and they buried him in the upper tombs of the sons of David. And all of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem honored him at his death. Then Manasseh, his son, reigned in his place. So we see here at the end, King Hezekiah dies. The end of his life wasn't as great as the beginning. But we know that he was one of the greatest kings to ever rule Judah, probably next to David. And we see here that he served God with the whole heart. 
For the most part, he served God with a whole heart, and God honored that. It is further stated that the inhabitants of Jerusalem did honor him at his death, because rightfully so, he brought the nation back to God. He brought them back to the worship in the temple and brought them back on track with him, so they honored him. And then it says Manasseh, his son, reigned instead of him. And we're going to start looking at that next week. Amen? Father, we just come to you tonight, and we just want to give glory to you, Father. We want to honor you, Father. May we honor you in all that we do, Father, and put you ahead of us, ahead of self, and that you would bring us victory, Father, as we faithfully follow you through these hard times that we're living in right now, and that you would guide us, Father God, and that you would help us to prepare ourselves for the battle ahead as we, we, we want to work on our prayer lives and we want to work on getting in your word and being uh, proficient with our weapon, Father God, so that we may be able to go to battle, Lord, but knowing that you have the say in the victory, Father. We just ask for your blessing over those tonight that are here. We ask for blessings for those who are not able to make it. And uh, we pray for safe travels. In Jesus' name, amen.